Good morning. Good morning, boy. I figure after that song set, we'd all be awake. Uh, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed music. One of my, my deep desires is I always wish that if God let me ask for something that I don't have, it would be that I would have musical abilities, you know. Um, I, have, I do not have timing at all. In fact, you will never see me singing. Well, unless I really know the song really well, you'll never see me singing and clapping at the same time. I just can't do it. In fact, uh, my wife is very talented musically, and a lot of times when she's, she's clapping, I'm standing there watching, so I keep on, keep on time because I just can't do it. I uh, remember like 40 years ago, I one and only time I ever led worship in a church, we had a lady that played the piano and we were singing, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I'll never forget, she was playing the part. We were on like the second stanza or something. We were, she was playing the part, what can wash away my sins? And I was singing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. It doesn't work, I promise you, it doesn't work. So musically, I always wish that I had such musical talent because it moves you, it encourages you, it strengthens you, it convicts you. And uh, as only God can do that. So thank you for our, our praise team this morning. Also, I just want to take a moment. I'm, I, I'm, I'm excited about Mansfield Bible Church. If you get around me very often, I'll talk about things that I love about Mansfield Bible Church. I tell people all the time, if God just let me decide, I would have everybody come to Mansfield Bible Church because I, I love it here, right? But I don't know what God's doing through the community. So I entrust him that he would lay on people's hearts and they would go where God wants them to be. But a couple of things I'm real excited about. This weekend, I know some of our ladies went to an IF gathering, and I don't know if you've been, if your ladies are here this morning, you've been around our women's ministry, but God's doing some really neat things there. If you're not involved in the women's ministries, I would really, really encourage you to get there because there's some things that are taking place there and God is working, and to Him be the glory, amen? And that's why we do the ministry is that we encourage one another and strengthen one another. The other thing we're doing is we've just started, in fact, here in a couple of weeks, you're gonna see some signs in the parking lot that we're trying to figure out how we can help guests that come onto our campus get where they belong, right? If you pull onto our lot, do you know where the front door is? We have 41 doors coming into this building. Have you ever thought about that? 41 doors coming into this building. Can you imagine going in the wrong door and you have no idea, do I go left, do I go right, do I go straight, where do I go? And so some of the things we're doing is we're designing on our website where we have plan a visit. So a guest can come and they wanna check out our church and they look at our website and then they can put on their plan of visit and they can tell us if they're coming to 9.30 service, 11 a.m. service, they can tell us that, um, that we, you know, if they have children, if you know, they wanna meet a pastor, all those kinds of things. We've only done this now two or three times. In fact, the first week we did it, I think we had two guests that actually did it. And so that day I met them and I tried to walk through things with them. But we really need a team of folks. We need to create a spirit of hospitality in our church where there's people that are, that are coming to our church and they're coming for all kinds of reasons. Uh, sometimes it's, they're just struggling with life or maybe they have some spiritual concerns and doubts and they're looking for a place where, where they can experience God and, and hear his word and grow in the faith, right? And so when people come, they don't know what door to go in. So we're trying to help them to find the, the right place to come in. But we also need people that would, would greet them and help them just to find their way maybe through the building. Where's the children check in? Where's the, where's the gym where the students meet? Or, you know, coming into the worship center where what do small groups look like? Those kinds of things. And as soon as I say that, you're sitting there going, I don't know any of those things, Greg. I don't know. I couldn't volunteer. We can help and we can do that. 
But we need, we need some friendly folks in creating the hospital, hospital uh, a spirit of hospitality, all right? Uh, I'm already tongue-tied and I haven't even started. But, um, and, and, and helping our folks to see that. And if you will, just fill out on the card and just let us know if you want to, if you can help in that area, you can drop it in the, drop it in the uh, black box or in the plate when it goes by later. Um, but I'm, I'm such a believer in this. Um, you know, <clears throat> people talk about Mansfield, and we talk about this is, you know, like a Bible, kind of a belt area kind of thing, you know, even though we don't use that term anymore. And we talk about it, you know, a lot of Christians, a lot of godly people here. And yet, if everybody showed up today in church that lives in Mansfield, we don't even have an, half of the seats to fill, the, fill our community if everybody went to church. Our community is in great need, and this is an, a way that we can kind of help and reach people as they, as they begin to look in that process about where God would want them. So if you'd like to help, let us know. Now, I'm beginning a new series. I, I finished up the last series we were, we were on, and I'm actually going to be going through the Gospel of John. I love this book. So you can turn there. Well, we're going to kind of introduce it today. But I want to begin by just asking you a question, some questions or just seeing where you're at. Have you ever just prayed? I mean, you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and it seems like your prayers, man, if they, if they got that high, they seem like they got really short and they just don't get answered. And you begin to wonder like, where's God at? I mean, why, why pray? What's the use of praying? It doesn't seem like he's hearing my prayer. I remember um, when I had started getting involved in church and I was really eliminating, I was in high school and I was, eliminating some friends that were really pulling me the wrong direction. And I was really trying to, to seek after God and God was really tugging on my heart. But at the same time in my home, there were some really ugly things taking place. My parents just weren't getting along. I was fairly new to the faith in, the, in at least walk, starting to walk with God. And I can remember during that time over a couple year period where I mean, I was praying every day. I mean, I was on my knees and I was crying out to God for my parents. And in that two years, Five different times I've moved my mom because my mom, my mom and dad would separate and then get back together and separate, get back together. It was a horrible time. And I can remember praying and, and there's times when you begin to pray and you go, man, is, is God really hearing my prayers? Is, does it matter that I pray? Or I don't know, maybe you have these moments of, of questioning and you start wondering about the scriptures, you know, you have someone that you meet, maybe it's at work or a friend, and, and, they, and they tell you, they look at you and they say, man, you know, you're just too smart to believe that thing, the Bible. Why do you believe those things? And then they quote a bunch of things that make you begin to question and wonder. You begin, begin to doubt and begin to struggle in your faith. I remember when I was in going through college, I was putting in sprinkler systems. That was lawn sprinkler systems. That's how I was able to work my way through college. And I remember there's this one guy named Sam. And if you're around me much, you'll hear me talk about Sam. Sam was a great guy. I love Sam. Uh, I still wish I knew him when he lost touch when we moved to another state. But I love Sam. Sam had grown up in a Christian family. Uh, his, his dad was a pastor of a church. But Sam had long since walked away from the faith. He got his master's in philosophy. He was a very intelligent guy. And we spent a lot of time discussing the scriptures. But I remember as it kind of came to a head where, where Sam was growing more and more frustrated with me. I'll never forget the day we were working on a, on a job and it was just him and I. And we had been discussing some things. 
And finally, he just, he just kind of came to the end of himself. And he began following me around. In fact, he was, I'm a big guy, but he made me look small. I mean, he was a big guy, like mu- one of those guys that have muscles on top of muscles, you know, this huge guy. And he's following me around. And he's just yelling with all of his might. He's like, Greg, you're, you're too smart to believe that. You're too smart to believe that Bible. And he, he would talk about different things and just follow me around. Maybe we have a moment of questioning. Maybe somebody said something to you or, or shared something about the scriptures. And in that moment, you begin going, wow, yeah, that doesn't make sense. And you begin to, you begin to doubt, you begin to question and, and concern. Maybe even it's more practical than that. Maybe it's the health issue that pops up. You know, it comes out of the blue. It's in the least amount, when you least expect it, you know, you walk into the doctor's office and you hear the bad news and, and you begin to realize that your life is gonna be a little bit different because of this medical issue. And you begin to struggle, you begin to pray. Maybe it's, maybe it's a job issue. You go into work on that day and just like any other day and you're excited and you know, everything's going well and then your boss talks to you and he lets you go and now the job isn't there. And you find the struggle you begin to pray and you wonder how God's gonna, gonna answer. Maybe it's something that just happened to one of your children. There's, nothing, there's no greater pain than to see your children go through pain, is there? Maybe it's something that happened to one of your children where maybe a parent, and you're taking care of a parent and you're seeing some things and you're, you're, just, you're, just, you're just struggling and it's, and, and it's getting worse. And, or maybe it's a spouse and something happens to them and you, and it's not just that any one of those things, but then all of a sudden, several of those things happen in a short period of time, and you, and you begin to question the sovereignty of God. You begin to question, is, does he, does he, is he in control? Where's he at? Where does he, where does he show up? And doubt begins to flood in. God doesn't always respond the way we like, does he? He doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want him to answer them. And doubt is real. It's a natural human response. It's not something that just, just that we turn the switch off or turn it on. It, it, it pops up in the least moment and, and, it, and it begins to flood in our soul. And if we stay, stay there, we find ourselves becoming disillusioned. We begin to wonder, is this a... Have we been fooled in some way? Have we, have we somehow been tricked? And then we grow even worse. We begin to grow discouraged and we, we find ourselves losing confidence in our faith. You know, I love a story that um, is told of the disciples. Jesus had gotten into a boat and he's gonna cross over the Sea of Galilee. And so the disciples get into the boat with him and they begin to cross over with Jesus, well, they get out there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and a wind starts up, a storm comes up and it begins to crash over to the side of the boat. It begins to crash the boat. Now keep in mind, some of these guys were fishermen. They had seen storms before. They had seen wind and, and they, they were skilled at, at sailing. They were skilled at what they did, but yet this storm was obviously much greater to the point that they became afraid and scared for their very lives. So much so 
that they find Jesus in the bottom of the boat, and what's he doing? He's just sleeping. Isn't there peace in the grace of God? And there he is, he's just laying in the bottom of the boat, sleeping, and they run down to him, and they wake him up, and, the, and immediately they tell Jesus they're afraid. They, in fact, their exact, their exact words is, Lord, save us. Save us. These are fishermen. Some of these guys are fishermen. They, they've been out on that. And here they are. And immediately they're seeing the storm crash in. And they say, Lord, save us. We are going to die. They fear in the middle of the, of the crisis. And fear gripped their hearts. No different than us. There have been times in my life when I've seen things and I start going through a struggle and I get in the middle of that crisis and, and I find myself beginning to struggle. I found myself beginning to wonder about God. I, some of you have heard me share before when, when, I was on, uh, when I was in my car. and I remember that day there have been several things that were going on over a period of time and I was getting frustrated with them. And I wasn't in control. I know I'm, sometimes I can be a control freak. But I wasn't in control. And I remember, remember praying and asking God to deliver, that God would, would deliver me today. And I remember I had the radio on. It was a Christian radio station. In fact, I can tell you the intersection I was at. I was, I was on Mayfield turning left on Cooper, right there next to the old Tiffins. You know, some of you all remember Tiffins and the, the pies. Well, if you were living around here, you knew where that place was at, right there on that corner. They've since demolished it. It was a sad day. I still cry when I drive by that corner. <laughs> but right there, you know, you turn, left on, you turn left on Cooper, right? And as I turn left, I reach over and shut off the radio because on the radio it started singing, my Redeemer cometh, my Deliverer comes. And I shut it off and I remember... I don't have a redeemer coming. I don't have a deliverer coming. I was so frustrated. You see, in the middle of the crisis, we find ourselves overwhelmed. It's no different than what the disciples were experiencing. Yeah, it was a storm and it was crashing in and it seemed immediate that their, their life was at stake. But still, the, the fear is just as real. The cry for help is just as real. And I remember as I turned left on, on Cooper and started driving down there, I shut the radio off, and I was sitting there just mad. I was just mad at God. I, I, I get mad at him. I don't know if you all know that. He, he already knows when I'm mad at him. I just talk to him about it. usually helps quite a bit, to be honest with you. And I remember as I was driving down there, I started going, no, Lord, I know you're my redeemer. I know you're my redeemer. Lord, I'm struggling. Please help my faith. Please help me to believe. You know, we all find in the middle of those, those times that, that seemed overwhelming, it's no different than the, the disciples. And when we're going through those times, we begin to ask, where is God? We just ask, where is he? Why doesn't he do something about this pain and this hurt? Does he even care? Is he even aware of my circumstances? We begin to go through those kinds of questionings. And disillusionment comes in, discouragement comes in, and we realize God moves in ways we don't understand. And so we begin to doubt, and the battle of unbelief has just become rampant in our lives. You see in that story, that account of Jesus and the disciples, they go and they wake him. I, I imagine they shook him. 
And they wake him up and they say, Lord, save us. We're about to die, save us. And Jesus looks at him and he says these simple words. Why are you fearful? Well, Lord, the water's crashing in. We don't know if the boat's gonna make it. And then he says, oh, you of little faith. Faith? I mean, everything to that sailor told him that boat could not survive that storm. That was a logical conclusion. I mean, they've seen water before. They've seen ships sink before. They've seen storms wipe out a boat before. And here the waves are crashing in and Jesus is telling them, why are you afraid? Because we've seen this before. And then he says to him, oh, you, a little faith. You see, it's just the same with us when our hurts and our pains and, and the difficulty of life is surrounding us and it creates a, a crisis in our lives. It's just as much true. But I like what Jesus does then next. Then Jesus gets up and he walks out and he speaks to the wind and it stops. He talks to the storm and it's over. And there's a calm and the disciples stand back and they say to themselves, who is this man that even the winds and the storm listen to him? You see, logically, the boat was sinking. That tells you all everything you need to know, especially if you're a seaman and you know that boat is sinking. That's the logic of it. But when you understand who God is, you realize it's logical to believe. It's logical to have faith. See, when they realized that Jesus could speak to the wind, there was no need for fear. And when we see past the crisis and we recognize who God is, it becomes logical to believe. Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John here, he wrote, he wrote 1 John. And in 1 John, in chapter five and verse four, he tells us, he's telling us, how do we overcome this world? How is it that we, we become overcomers? How do we overcome this, this world around us? And he said, the victory, you know what the victory is? Our faith, our faith. It's in that moment when we can see past the crashing winds of the storm and we see who God is, that we logically begin to believe and we realize the victory is in faith. In John, Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, or 31, I'm sorry, I did this earlier too, 30 and 31. It's in John chapter 20. I promise I know where it is, all right? And it's in verses 30 and 31. It's unique because John tells us why he wrote this gospel. It's an important aspect. In fact, I believe this is a, a great gospel to to those who might be struggling with their faith, struggling to believe. We're gonna be going through this book over the times that, that I have to preach over the, over the next, next several times. And it's great gospel for us that might be struggling with our faith. In fact, we know the apostle John was the author of this book. And it's one of the few books that is even contested about who the author is. The early church recognized his authorship of this, of this book of the Gospel of John. He's never named in the Gospel, but the church recognized, and you can go into the second, third centuries, and it's not challenged. It's one of the least challenged books about the authorship in the Scriptures. 
He wrote this, he wrote this gospel around 80 to 90 AD. And that's kind of important to know that because the, the apostle John wrote, the, wrote this gospel and it's a little bit different than the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where it's, where it's synoptics of, of the life of Jesus. In these books, they're, they're account, giving accounts and genealogies and, and of events that took place in Jesus's life. But when John writes this book, now some 50 years later from the ministry of Jesus, he's writing this book to believers whose faith has, become, who has been challenged. Uh, it's been about 50 years, so we're probably at second, maybe even third generation believers within the church. The early church didn't have internet like we do today, right? We're even a printing press to be able to, to make copies of, of, of the books. And so a lot of times we had teachers that were traveling around and traveling about in the early church. And some of these teachers were teaching uh, false doctrine. Gnosticisms had begun to, to, to rise up within the church and create doubts among the believers, and so the Apostle John, when he sits down to write this account, he writes this account that, that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we might have life in his name. He's writing that to us because he wants us to believe. He wants us to understand our faith. And he sees that the church is, 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 is being attacked. And this is a firsthand account, by the way. What do I mean by that? I mean that Apostle John tells us in, in 1 John chapter 1, he talks about seeing Jesus and, and touching Jesus and hearing him and, 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 and knowing what he had done. This is, this is John who was there when Jesus turned the water to wine. And it says at the very last of that in, in John, it says the very end of it, and the disciples believed. John understood that as he saw these things, he began to believe and understand who Jesus was. John was there when, when Jesus had the 5,000 and they're hungry and they had no money to buy food for the 5,000. And one of them says, here's this little boy's lunch. And Jesus says, sit down. And it was the disciples, it was John was there too, that looked and like, okay, what are we doing now? And Jesus blessed and began to break bread. It was the apostle John was there when he picked up one of the baskets full of bread, one of the 12, one for each one of the disciples. So they would understand the strength and the power of who Jesus is. He wasn't just another man. He wasn't a good teacher. He wasn't a prophet. He was sent by God. And he entered into humanity's world that he would proclaim the message and reveal who the true God is. It was John that picked that up and walked with those, that bread. In fact, it was just a short discourse after that when the things that Jesus said was so difficult that many of the disciples didn't believe anymore and they walked away. And John was there, he saw that. He gave an account here in our text. John was there that day when Jesus comes to a tomb and he tells Lazarus to come out. And then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. You think John understood this person, Jesus? And he's seeing the church be deceived by these false teachers who are diverting the gospel and the basic foundation of their belief. And John was there and he gives this account. I'm amazed so many times at how people challenge the authenticity of the scriptures. But when we walk into this text, this is a text that we know. There was a firsthand account 
by a man who saw these things and he was there. He was facing the challenges of the early church as they were battling some of these doctrines, some of these teachers. One such teacher, his name was Serentius. Serentius, in fact, is, this is, okay, let me just give a red flag, okay? This is historical. We don't know definitely if it's true, but I like the story because John had entered into a building and, and Serentius was in there where Serentius was there or John was there. And one of them, they, they ended up in the same building. And what was amazing is immediately that when John saw him, he calls him a heretic right there out in public because he was not teaching the truth and he would not even stay in the same building with him. In fact, Serentius, he taught several things. He taught the world wasn't made by the primary God, but, but was a power separate from him. He taught that Jesus wasn't born of a virgin. He was the son of Joseph and Mary. He taught that Jesus was more righteous and, and prudent and wise than others. And that at his baptism, the, when the dove descended on Jesus, the Christ descended on Jesus. You see what he just did? He separated the Christ and Jesus. Here's a physical Jesus, here's a spiritual Christ. And they're not the same. It destroys the very foundation of our faith. And John understood that. And that the Christ, on, being on Jesus, was the one who proclaimed the unknown Father and did miracles. And then right before Jesus was, was to die, the, the Christ left him. That's not the God I, I learned. But Christ left him, and he experienced suffering, and he experienced death, and, and he rose again. But he said the Christ couldn't have gone through that because the Christ is incapable of experiencing pain because he's a spirit. And these kinds of things were growing rampant in the early church. Now some 50 years from the ministry of Christ, there was other, other views that also held that Jesus' body was a phantom. In other words, there was no actual physical body of Jesus. It was like a phantom. And, and here was this Christ speaking to them. They believed that God was too pure and perfect to be involved in a material world. And can you imagine as it begins to ramp it through the church and it begins to deceive believers that here's the apostle John who had seen these things and knew these things is moved to write such a book that we might believe also. It's no different today. The church is facing the same kinds of challenges. Same old story, just worded different. And we see many, many people believing and walking away. I read over and over again about how the church is in decline and that more and more people are walking away from their faith. The church is being attacked and the authenticity and the authority of these scriptures that we have has been attacked. More and more people are believing that this is, this is not God's word. I'm not saying this is our God, but this is how God shows us and communicates to us who he is his character and his personality and his love that he demonstrated towards us and the difficulty that we found ourselves enslaved and how he has set us free. This is God's account. And I see more and more people challenging this and, and, and wondering if this is real, if this is, if this is true. 
We're too intellectual to, under, to believe this. I see something in here I don't understand, so obviously there's something wrong with this. No, it's our lack of faith. If I can understand everything about who my God is, why would I need him? The same God who spanned out the universe in the palm of his hand, who sent his son and who stepped into our world and went to a cross, experienced our judgment and experienced death, and then rose again three days later, that he lives, that we might live in him, that same God is able to keep an accurate account for us today. The church, I find, is attacked in so many different ways. I've been doing some reading lately and just reading of different thoughts and movements and how, how the world around us incorporates truth of the scriptures and who Jesus is. I read about this Christ consciousness that teaches that Jesus is a pattern. His human body was a, a pattern to show us our way back to our spiritual source. In other words, that Jesus was, was not God and man. He was a man. And as he, as he began to lead, he showed us, he gave us a pattern how we find out who we are. He became God. And he was given the Christ because of this spiritual status that he, arrayed, that he attained to. And more and more people are believing that we're gods, that somehow we connect with the divine around us and in some way find out the spiritual source. It's a lie. If Jesus was not the God-man, then today I have nothing to say. I have no faith if Jesus wasn't fully God and fully man. And the apostle John was moved in such a way that he writes in this letter to define who Jesus is. He's not like anybody else. He's not a teacher. Jesus didn't claim to be a teacher. He claimed to be God. Jesus didn't claim to be a prophet. He claimed to be the son of God, the Messiah, the anointed one sent by God. We're seeing more and more of the attack within our Christian faith as more and more people forget about the things that are taught in here and begin to believe things that are, that are spoken. And they read books, and, and not that books are bad, but they read things, and, and it seems to attack the scriptures, and we never go back to confirm it ourselves. The Center for Christ Consciousness defines that spiritual status that, that we all are really children of God and that we all can reach this, this status of, of divinity. And they define it like this. It's the highest state of intellectual development and emotional maturity. You see what that's done? It's moved it away from God sending his son and delivering us to us being able to deliver ourselves, and we can't. If we could deliver ourselves, why would Jesus need to come? There would be no hope. And it's to this church that John writes in John chapter 20, in verses 30 and following, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. John had a very specific reason for why he wrote, and he tells us in verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Literally, the Christ meaning Messiah, the anointed one, the deliverer that God sent to us to set his people free to restore his people. 
He's the one that God had sent. It doesn't say anointed ones, plural. It says anointed one that God has chose. There is one man who stands between God and men and is a mediator between them. There's only one. There's no other name under heaven by which men shall be saved. It's only by him. He's the deliverer. The son of God, it says, that he is God. If you do not believe that Jesus is, the, is God and that he's the Christ, then we have no business being here. It's the very, very basis of our faith. It's the very truth that holds all of our truths together. Is his, is his person. And John says, I write these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And believing, notice that believing there has the idea of keep on believing. He's writing to believers that were beginning to be deceived and led astray. And he says, and believing, you might have life in his name. Believing that we accept God's revelation to us. That we acknowledge his divine authority. Believing that results in eternal life and a new enduring relationship with our God. You see, the gospel of John helps those who might struggle in their faith to see that Jesus is really worthy of our faith. When he writes this book, he realizes there's people struggling, but he wants them to see that God, that Jesus Christ is worthy of our worship and of our faith. This gospel has many things it presents and we're gonna be looking at a lot of these as we go through this study. This gospel presents the person of Jesus Christ as the incarnation of the eternal God who is revealing himself perfectly to us. We beheld him as of the only begotten of the Father. We see that through this whole gospel. The other thing we'll be noticing is this gospel teaches the concept of atonement. Remember John the Baptist who said, behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Notice it doesn't say sins, but sin. That he conquered, he conquered death and he conquered the sting of, our, of death that we might be set free to all those who would believe. This gospel teaches that eternal life is a gift to those who would believe in him. We'll see that as we go through this. It also teaches on the person and the functions of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus in his final discourse had much to say about the Holy Spirit and how he would, he would be left behind to, to, to guide and to teach, to remind us, to convict that these things we would know in our faith. I think so many so many things are said about the Holy Spirit that we get all mixed up about it, to be honest with you. I think we think the Holy Spirit, when he's around, we see these miraculous things. The miraculous things in my life is how God, by his spirit, reminds me of himself daily and the power of God working in my life to change me to be more and more like his son and the struggles that we have. And I've seen God do some amazing things and we'll look at that through, the, through, through that time when we go through that the other thing the Gospel of John does is it gives us a full discussion and demonstration of the nature of belief and examples of unbelief. 
You'll see time and time again, whether it's, whether it's the Pharisees, the religious leaders, or even the disciples that, that, that walked away from the faith. They couldn't believe the things that were said. And you'll see the times as well where it says, and they believed. Who else are we to follow? Who else has the, the words of life? And we'll see this discussion all through this. It's, it's all through the Gospel of John. So as I, so I ask you this question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? As we go through this study and as we go through this Gospel, I pray that your faith is strengthened. I pray you are encouraged in your times of doubt that you would understand the battle that's before you and how to gain victory. And then also that and believing you may really have life in the name of the Son. Let's pray. Father God, I just, I just lift up to you everybody here this morning. I know that, Father, we've all have gone through times of doubt, uncertainty, questioning. And yet, Father, I find that sometimes in my reasoning, in, in my ability to try to, to understand, I get to this place where I can't understand some of these things are too great for me. Even as we sang this morning, how can it be? How do you explain, Father, such love and grace and mercy? I know when someone offends me or, or hurts me, I, I, want, I want justice immediately, and yet you didn't respond in justice. You responded grace and mercy by sending your son, Jesus Christ. You provided redemption. You provided a, a way for new life. So how can that be? Father, I pray for all those that are here this morning, Lord, that your spirit would move in our hearts and our minds. And Father, those that are, that are maybe going through a season of doubt that you would encourage them or maybe they've already come to a place of disillusionment and Father, you, just, you would just strengthen their hearts. Remind them of the one who spoke to the seas and the wind obeyed, who called out the dead and, and be, that we might remember of the one who stepped into our world, calling us to himself. Father, just move among us. Encourage the weak, strengthen the weak. Hear the praise, Father, of, of, your, of your people. And Father, even though there might be some, even their hearts need to be broken, may you do that too that you might lead us and guide us. To you be the glory and the praise forever and ever. Amen. We're gonna together take a moment of communion. This morning when, in fact, both hours, when I heard that song, And Can It Be?, my heart was moved. I mean, how do, you, how do you describe the love of God? 
Are there words to, that capture the picture of mercy and grace? And yet I so strongly believe in what God has done for us. And this morning as we come together and we're reminded of, of what he had done for us, we remember that even this book that we're gonna be looking at, a major discourse took place during the Lord's Supper, during communion. And it's a time to remember. It's a time to clear our hearts with God. Jesus' body was broken. Not just that he was broken, but he was rejected. In the first chapter of John, it talks about Jesus coming to his own and they rejected him. It says that he was in this world and though this world was created by him, they didn't recognize him. And then it says, but as to many who receive him, to them, he gives the right to be called the children of God. So it's a time that we stop and we remember what a God has done for us. I don't know where you're at, But maybe it's a time where you just spend with him for a second here and you clear house. Express thankfulness. And receive his grace. See, on that night when Jesus gathered his 12, he took some bread and he broke it. And he held it up. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I can't imagine, I can't imagine what Jesus went through. You know, it tells us in the Bible that life is in the blood. And when he was hanging on the cross and he was pierced and water and blood ran out, the literal life of Jesus was running out. He didn't deserve that, but he did that so that we might have life. That he shed his blood for us that the righteous demands of iniquity would be met once and for all and, and death would be conquered and there would be no more chains, but that we would be set free. And we had a new relationship, a new covenant with our God through the work of Jesus Christ. And on that night, he, 
held up that cup and he said, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I love the very next verse. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. It's a message of hope. It's a message of life. It's a message for us to remember what Christ has done for us. To, let's pray. To God, we give the glory and the praise forever and ever. We look for the day that your son will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and that the son will be glorified and the father's work in his son will be forever known. And that we find grace and we find mercy, God, and we thank you for that. To you be the glory and the praise forever and ever and ever. Amen.